When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You are listening to the Shot Caller Podcast with Casey Diaz and Joel Needler. You can find us online at uh, Casey Diaz Author on Facebook, uh, The Shot Caller Book on Instagram, and on Twitter, at The Shot Caller BK. That's at The Shot Caller BK. You can also find us at CaseyDiaz.net and send an email to info at CaseyDiaz.net. That's info at CaseyDiaz.net. I want to, this morning, I want to see if you can consider becoming a monthly sponsor to keep this podcast going. It's easy. You just go to kcds.net, click on podcast, then you're going to see a support button. Click on that, and you get three options on how to support the Shot Caller podcast. And in addition, you can email me and purchase a signed copy of my book, The Shot Caller. You can always follow us on Facebook at KCDS Author, on Twitter at The Shot Caller BK. On Instagram, the Shot Caller book. And I want to send some shout outs to alphausa.org. If you have, um, if your heart is pulling you to prison ministry, these are the folks that you want to connect with. They have all the resources, they help um, men and women that uh, are about to come out of prison. Um, and, you know, when you get out, you, you don't know where to start, you don't know what to do. You, uh, most states in, in, in the nation give you. Uh, a $200, uh, you know, uh, gate money and $200 doesn't get you all that far. It gets you a bus ticket and then uh, good luck, right? Uh, well, these guys help uh, men and women coming out of prisons uh, with through mentorship, with housing, with churches. Uh, it's an awesome ministry with discipleship. So make sure that if you have a, uh, a spot in your heart and you want to start in prison ministry, hit these guys up, alphausa.org. And also our friends at Lean On Me, Lean On Me podcast. These guys are on the East Coast. Uh, it's headed by uh, Ken, a former FBI agent, friend of mine. Uh, we are doing pretty much the same thing that they're doing in the East Coast. And, and um, so I want you to look them up. They're going to launch their podcast pretty soon. Um, I already got to, uh, 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 you know, check out uh, four of their uh, uh, initial podcast and i'm telling you these stories are raw they're powerful and uh i think you're going to like their podcast make sure that you um that you uh, uh seek them out and uh, be part of that this morning we have tyler andrade absolute flex appeal this guy uh has uh, a f- uh several gyms uh out in uh, north northern california and we met um through social media welcome this morning uh tyler Andrade, what's up, brother? Hey, good morning. Thank you for having me. And sorry about the, you know, uh, the goof up over here. <laughs> All right. Man, All it was right. going good, bro. <laughs> and then uh, I just uh, kind of like nosedive. But it's all good. But, you know, um, I, we connected through we connected through, uh, through social media. And, and it was good. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I, I saw your story, uh, did a little research, 
And then we talked on the phone. And to me, uh, I'm going to say it again. There's something about you, dude, that, that, that shines. And I think that it's, it's uh, you're enjoying life. You're enjoying where you're coming from. And, um, and the change that you're doing in society today. Um, welcome, brother. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm definitely grateful for this opportunity. Definitely grateful to share some time with you because this will definitely be uh, one for the book, so to say. Uh, the whole love on life and the whole, ultimately, the positivity just comes from being in such a dark place for so long and coming from the the struggles and the heartaches that everything gang life, street life, and all of that brings. And so to to bring it to where we are today, for you and I both to have the success that we're experiencing you can't help but smile. Yeah, that's right, man. You know, I, I sent you a questionnaire. Um, we send this questionnaire to all our guests. And uh, just basic questions, you know. We want to know um, what's important to you. And uh, on this questionnaire, you, you brought up the subject of a mindset uh, uh, of um, built-in rage, right? Uh, a demand for power and respect. That's what the street is. And that's the mentality of the street. How, how did how did you deal with that in, in the beginning of your life? So in the beginning, money, power, and respect is, is still something that I desire, but it's no longer the, the in the negative way. When it was on the street, it was very, I'm taking it. I'm going to take what I want, and I'm going to inflict what I want, and you're going to respect me whether you like it or not. And it was a very dominant and abusive, it's my way or the highway. And it's what I want. And if I want it now, I'm taking it. And if I'm if I'm not taking it, I'm I'm stealing it. If I'm not stealing it, there's some way I'm getting it. It's always like a come up attitude, right? Yeah. By whatever means. By any means. Yeah. Yep. And um, so I mean, how does your story start? Because um, there's there's a lot of pain. Yes. Um, what what was what was that like, man? Pain. Um. So I'm now that I'm on this this new mindset, but pain was always the driving force, and pain will always be the driving force for everybody, whether they accept it or not. And, and I like to make little rhymes with everything, but the more pain you experience, the more gain you experience, as long as you learn from it, right? If if we keep and taking this pain and we take a victim mentality, then ultimately we're going to be in the same situation, the same environment, and nothing changes except just the time and the seasons. If you take that pain and turn it into gain, then you have conversations like this where there's two guys who turn their pain into gain and they're, they're loving life. So where things started, uh, I was born in Oakland, uh, January 15th, 1989. Um, my mother and father were very young when they had me, uh, and they were living pretty much like paycheck to paycheck and barely scraping by. We went from Oakland to Hayward, and in Hayward, there uh, the neighborhood, and I'm only going off of what my mother and father were telling me, there were so many drive-bys that at night, bullets would come through the windows, shatter the windows, so they became accustomed to sleeping on the floor because of one, they were lowered to the ground, and two, they weren't having glass land on them at night. And that's something I was like, that's insane. So they moved from Hayward to Milpitas, and my grandparents are still in Fremont, but uh, went to, went pretty much this is where, this is where all the pain starts. Yeah. Uh, at the age of three, I witnessed my dad uh, severely beat my mother. He was battling some demons with alcohol. And that was just his vice he couldn't shake. And uh, 
ultimately made some choices to where he landed in prison and spent a lot of serious time in San Quentin. So growing up and seeing that, and we were in a trailer park. So that trailer park plays a huge part in the story as well because it was a low-income trailer park. And it was just a lot of the moms there were single moms and a lot of the dads were either in and out of county or spending hard time in, in Quentin. And so you had a lot of these neighborhood kids who ran the streets and what was once playful starts turning real deviant real quick because dad's not around. What's mom going to do? And mom's usually working two jobs back to back so she can make enough money to feed me, you know? So there was a lot of unsupervised criminal delinquent behavior all before the third grade. And it started just because I've always been a big kid. Yeah. The older kids always took me under their wing. And so there was things that I was seeing by the time I was in kindergarten that I was like, I can't tell my mom I just witnessed this. And I can't tell my mom that, you know, I just literally, this is a true story. I would ditch, I would ditch kindergarten. My mom would drop me off at the roundabout. Kindergarten. No joke. And she would get a phone call and she would put a whoop into my backside. <laughs> and so I'll never forget that. <laughs> She would drop me off at the roundabout, and then before uh, class started, we could play on the playground. So everybody was playing on the playground, and I would, it was an outdoor campus, would walk out the back. And the older, my older friends from the trailer park would be waiting there for me. And I would just walk over there, and literally, we'd run the neighborhood. And so the, one of the things that I remember watching is they had a disagreement with a guy, and they wound up jumping the kid right in front of me. And I mind you, I'm in kindergarten. Yeah, yeah. And my eyes are wide and I'm dead silent. And they put this kid into a seizure. Like they, they, they just, there was that much violence that this kid winds up going into a seizure. And they look at me after they're done. And you, they literally say, you will not say a thing to your mother and you'll shut your mouth. And it was, I didn't say a word for the rest of yeah, the day. Yeah. So it's, it's those little choices and it's those little, uh, incidents that really start shaping me into really going off the tracks and then living this wild chaotic life that I I was pretty much groomed from from the very beginning I had no idea it was just these little you know you know how it goes with the manip manipulation it goes a little task here a little task here a little task here and next thing you know you're full blown into some serious violence that you're inflicting on somebody else because now it's the norm yeah you know in when you hear you know, our listeners are out there uh, going kindergarten, you know, some of you got kids out there. Um, and when you think kindergarten, man, that's when we're doing like, you know, paintings and color inside the lines, yeah, yeah. color inside the lines, the big fat crayons. Yeah. I don't know if they still have them now, but we still have some fat crayons, man. And, and if you, you know, if you got to use those, that box, that was like the ultimate. Right. And here you are in, uh, you know, up North, and you're you're seeing somebody get jumped, plummeted to yeah. the point of a seizure, and this becomes your norm. This was the norm, and so it ultimately snowballed from there. So mom gets the call that from the school, hey, your son's missing quite a bit of school, and she's like, no, he's not. I drop him off every morning. She was dead adamant. He's not missing school. You have a mistake, and so they literally send an attendance report to my mother. And my mother loses it. She's like, what are you doing? You know? And as a kindergarten, I literally just tell her, I'm hanging out with my friends. And <laughs> left it as like genuine and as innocent as that. But it wasn't innocent by any means. So we would ditch. And these kids were all fifth graders going on to middle school. 
And what we would do is we had train tracks right behind uh, our house. And so a lot of times, and this is nuts to think about because I still look at trains, we'd jump on the train and ride the train as far as we could. Now, because it was coming through our area, the train would always go super slow that if you ran fast enough, you could catch it and ride it. So if you would ride it down and it would be miles, I mean, we'd wind yeah. up on the other side of town <laughs> in a train yard, it would eventually come to a stop to where we could jump off. Yeah, yeah. So then the train ultimately became the bus. And then, wow. so we were just traveling around having genuine fun, but if anybody would mess with us or anything, you know, that's hurt the certain territorial rules that come into place. Yeah, yeah. And I had no idea, but it was just the norm. Like, oh, my friends don't like you, so I don't like you. Yeah. Or, oh, my friends don't wear this color, so I don't wear this color. Yeah. You know, just the typical stuff. And so that was uh, just in kindergarten. What winds up transpiring is by the time I'm in third grade, there had been so much neighborhood violence that I lit, my mom catches me. So in this trailer park, there's no fences. There's no, we literally are just on, trailer parks and lots next to each other yeah my mom um winds up dating and this is crazy like there's a there's a tale of literally two uh polar opposites you've got my dad who is a hardcore criminal serving some serious time and is connected with some serious dangerous individuals then there's my stepdad and uh my stepdad is a hardcore marine i mean like lives it breathes it marine corps is life like don't deviate from it yeah. and so there's these two opposites and here i am trying to you know find my own way so what i'm getting at is by the third grade um there was uh a lot of tension between my stepdad and i and so it caused me a lot of times to play outside and go do more stuff which means stay out longer start you know disobeying my mother um and what i was getting at was that down the street on the corner was uh, there was a high-ranking northerner gangster, northern Mexican gangster, and uh, he moves in. And when he moves in, the whole neighborhood starts to kind of change. The older kids that I were hanging out with are now hanging out with this guy because he's got the tattoos. He speaks and walks just like you know a high-ranking gangster. And, yeah. and there's a there's a certain attraction to it, yeah. especially at that young, because of what we were getting back to the money, power, and respect. Yeah. And so my mother made it very clear you're not to hang out with him. Well, of course, all my buddies went, so I go. Yeah. And so within a matter of seconds, I am now holding a gun, and we're shooting at his shed in a trailer park. Just And he puts the gun in my hand, and I remember my mom's voice, do not play with guns. And here I am. And it was so quick that it happened with between peer pressure and wanting to be accepted. That's another thing that I was now holding a gun, shooting at a, a shed out in the middle of the day. And it caused some serious problems. So the cops were always down the street. And uh, one day, this guy had a very serious drug problem. Um, and he was under the influence. And as my older buddies and I are hanging out with him, what turns into we're all kind of roughhousing and, you know, like wrestling and just winds up to me getting jumped to where I'm throwing up. Mind you, I'm in third grade. I get jumped by this guy because he loses it. For some reason, his mind switches, and I start getting kicked in the stomach like a, like a soccer ball. Like this dude's full on just destroying me. So I get up, and I'm crying, but I'm trying to hold it in because my stomach hurts. Throw up all over this guy's bathroom, nothing but blood. My mother loses it. And when she loses it, um, we were just starting to find out that my stepdad and her were expecting my sister. 
So my mom's now pregnant. So if you can take a pissed off mother who's pregnant and her hormones are everywhere, like my mom walked into that lion's den and just ripped this guy a new one. Wow. And I was embarrassed, you know, because yeah. one part of me is like, man, like I'm embarrassed that this guy just beat me up. And I'm even more embarrassed that my mom's now over here trying to defend me. Like, let me be a man. And this yeah. is still third grade. So these are the environments and these are the how quickly things spiraled that were this became the norm very on. I mean, early on. Did, did you have like, you know, uh, for me, uh, there was, um, um, I, I remember, and I tell my story uh, in my book about a bus ride uh, when I was, in, I, I don't know, fourth grade or something. Yeah. Um, we had pen pals. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, we, there was this pen pal thing that I, I talk about. And uh, it wasn't a good experience at the end of this, this experiment. Um, and I remember being on the bus and, and saying to myself, life sucks. Yeah. Like life sucks. Right. And when you're like in fourth grade, you, that shouldn't be like something that some kids should be saying. No, no, by no means. Right. Uh, and, um, did, did you ever have doubts about yourself growing up? Like, you know, so, cause right off the bat, you're already seeing stuff that, uh, the normal kindergarten shouldn't. Be, yeah. be be watching, experiencing. Did you ever once, back then, have doubts about just life in general? Because I know that you know. Again, when we look at childhood, you know, we're so used to um, allowing you know certain shows on TV mm. uh, kind of give us this picturesque look of the perfect family. Yes, and that's not the case with everyone across America, across the world. Did you ever have doubts about just life in general? Always. One of the questions that I always ask myself, and even to this day, but started off from a kid, was there's more to life than this. There's gotta be more to life than this. And I even remember asking the way back in the day. And the reason I'd start asking that is because as the story goes on, being stuck between, like I said, my father who is serving hard time to now this other guy who's a career Marine. And when you, I mean, eat, sleeps and breathes it. And you've got these two guys who are trying to influence me to make these decisions, which ultimately created this like alpha discipline gangster, so to say. And it was just a tale of two worlds that just got infused. And I was just a byproduct. A lot of the times I would ask my questions that is when my dad was in prison and I would accept the call and we would talk. He knew that my mom was now with uh, my stepdad and he would be, um, mind you, he was battling some demons. So he's not like this anymore. And I'm proud of him. He, he's overcome a lot. He's got his own business, but he would be barking orders. You are not to do this. You are not to do that. You are not to do this. You are not to speak to him. And I'm like, uh, okay, yeah, okay, whatever you say, you yeah, know, yeah. and mind you, he's locked up in San Quentin barking these orders. Yeah. And so there's a part of me that is like with any, with any son looks up to their dad as a hero, whether, whether it's good or bad, your dad is your hero regardless. Yeah. And so there was this just blinded loyalty, like I'll do whatever you say. And so then it ca started causing serious problems early on before I'm even in middle school with my mother, my stepdad and my dad. And so there's already all this family tension and turmoil and chaos. When, like you said, <clears throat> I should be playing football. I should be riding my bike. I should be 
uh, you know, jumping in rain puddles or the whatever the <laughs> typical norm is, you know, exactly. that's what I should be doing as a kid, yeah. not experiencing the chaos that was <laughs> I was surrounded by. A prison call. Yeah. You know, from Pops. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <clears throat> this is... It, it, we, we, we're, we live in this world, man, that, you know... One, one of the things that, that caught my attention right off the bat when we had that conversation uh, a few weeks back, uh, right before we booked you, um, you said, you know, I, I, I've been on some podcasts and I just want to be me. Yeah. I just want to be me. And uh, I, we want you to be you. Okay. Just so you know that. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, don't hold back nothing, uh, you know. Um, I, it's life, man. Yeah. You know, there's things that we get to experience, unfortunately, uh, for some of us in America. Um, it's not, you know, jumping in, 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 in puddles. Yeah, yeah. It, it's not playing catch, you know. You see these commercials, you know, on TV and the dad's playing catch in the front. And not so much, yeah. you know, not so much in some areas. And, you know, Oakland is one of those places that, you know, uh, uh, I'm a Raider friend. I don't know what. Uh, oh, man. Uh, what? <laughs> You're going to hate me. Oh, man. <laughs> when the when comes. the Chargers were in San Diego, <laughs> I was a diehard San Diego Charger fan. Really? When they moved to L.A., I was like, I don't know if I can get behind this right now. Yeah, I remember that guy uh, burning his uh, his jersey. <laughs> that, that went viral. His Charger. Exactly. He was, he was, he was angry, man. But you know, uh, you know, you look at all these low-income uh, uh, communities, right? Oakland's mm -hmm. one of them. Yeah, Watts, Compton, yeah. South Central, Rampart. Um, you know, in, in Illinois, there's you know, you got Chicago. You got all these, all these. Um, you know, we call them ghettos, right? Uh, out here. But that's what our America looks like. Mm -hmm. For us growing up, that was our America. We didn't know uh, most kids growing up in in these little ghetto areas. They never go outside a four mile radius. Correct, dude. That's like I walk six miles now, and it yeah. doesn't look like it. I just started. No, you're doing good. <laughs> I just started, bro. You need to bring a, a an absolute flex. Uh, I got you. to this side of, we'll uh, do of it. Burbank because <laughs> I'm in trouble over here, man. <laughs> um, but you know, four mile radius. I mean, you think about you know the average kid. You know, my kid has never experienced that. You know, yeah. he's you know born here in Burbank has already flown, you know, all over the country. Yes. Uh I think I didn't get into a plane till I was 46. <laughs> didn't get on a plane till I was 46, people. You know, and, and I I remember they and the pilot was so funny cuz he offered me the, you know, the pilot wings. Yeah. And I'm 46 years old, man. <laughs> you know, on a on a White House invitation. And that was it was hilarious. But, you know, <laughs> that was our America. Mm -hmm. And you know, let's talk about the demons that held you back sure. in your past. We're going to get to some raw stuff. Yes. A lot of them came from insecurities, came from, and this is, this is what I really want to touch on, right? Is so a lot of times in podcasts, we talk about like bullet points, like, you know, on this day at this time, I did this, but we don't understand, or maybe the person speaking doesn't understand or have an idea of where it came from. They came from my insecurities as a kid. Yeah. They came from me wanting to always be accepted. So we moved. So it was almost by the third grade, we started moving every other year because my stepdad was on the end of his military career. So he was just, he was years away from retiring. 
So he went into recruiting. So they would move him almost every year and a half to a new recruiting station. So we went Oakland, Hayward, Milpitas, Tracy, um, Marino Valley slash San Bernardino. And then we call San Diego home because that's where we stayed the longest. When you move a kid that much, there's a lot of, of things I missed out on. And there's a lot of nasty coping mechanisms that I adopted because I was so desperate for acceptance, so desperate for a genuine friend. You go to a new school, a new city, and sometimes you go from Northern California and wind up in Southern California, and you're like, I'm tired of being alone. I'm tired of not having friends. I wanna just go hang out and have fun. Yeah. Well, trouble finds you and I pretty quick. Yeah. And, and when you have a troubled past, it's almost a magnet. Like, you can walk into a new school and the new kids will already size you up and be like, you're going to hang out with these guys. Okay. And you don't know any better yeah. because you've never been here before. Yeah. So you accept it and you roll with it. And next thing you know it, before it's too late, it's too late. Yeah. And you're like, well, now, now I'm, now I'm knee deep with a, with a drug addiction. Now I'm in group homes. And those are all true stories all before 10th grade because I was so desperate for acceptance. So those demons, honestly, when it sounds so trivial and so easy, were deeply rooted into me doing everything wrong for the wrong reasons for money, power, and respect. Yeah. You know, um, I like what you said, what, what you just said. Um, it's too late when it's too late. Yeah, would you realize it's too late? You're yeah, done. It's, like. it's you're done, bro. <laughs> you know, uh, and, and you're right. You know, and, and there's different elements, right? That 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 really shift the way we think, yeah. the way we behave in society. You know, you, you, I hear your story. You're moving around. Uh, you know, you're basically in a military family because Correct. of your stepfather, mm -hmm. and you're gonna go wherever he goes. Mm -hmm. You know, and and that does bring uh, a certain instability because you really don't get that opportunity to 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 develop friendships that are going to be lasting, you know, um, because all of a sudden, boom, you're moving somewhere else, yes. you know, pick up your bags and go. There is no option for you. You're, you're a kid. You're mm -hmm. just going to go wherever your parents are going. And that, yeah, I, I, I can see the trauma in that. And, and you know, I'm a big supporter of, of uh, military families, you know, and I got a lot of military friends now. I never understood the sacrifice that they really out there yes it's a lot of sacrifice and in, in your case you know it, and it's a double-edged sword too right yes because you know one side is they're serving mm -hmm. this country they're protecting this country this nation and and the price that they pay it's not just them serving it's the whole family that's serving correct and and it brings trauma mm -hmm. in some cases yes like in yours you know you, you know and those are the, the insecurities I know I battled with with, with that uh, growing up. You know, you know, the, the book is called the shot collar, right? Yeah. And everybody has this picture of a shot collar. A shot collar. Yeah. You know, like the dude has no feelings. Yeah. The dude must have grown up, you know, biting bullets for cereal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, that was a cereal bowl, bullets, right? <laughs> bullets and milk. And that's not the case, man. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, uh, did I want a, a childhood that was healthy? Of course I did. Yeah, we all do. Huh? We all do, man. Like, you know, we we grow up. You know, uh, uh, I went to speak at this at this um, men's uh, retreat a, a while back ago, a few years ago, and it was filled with military men. And I went to speak, uh, speak there, and, and and these guys were um, uh, for the most part. It was a it was a Christian retreat, but 
it was filled with military. There was a lot of them. And I remember sharing my story with one of these, uh, with, with this group. And at the end of, of me speaking, this, I mean, this dude's like six foot four, six foot yeah. five, bro. Like, and, and I mean, he's still in service. Yeah. Yeah. He's a full Marine dude. Yeah. Right. And the dude's bawling, bro. Yeah. And two of his Marine uh, buddies are walking him up to me. I mean, I, I'm sure that if you were looking from behind him, yeah. you couldn't see me. No, no. Because this dude's like, <laughs> he's yoked up, you know. Yeah, yeah. And, and he's a young Marine. But this is what we're talking about. Yeah. The realness of growing up in dysfunction, mm -hmm. the realness of, because there's things that really affect us. Yes. Very early on. And you, you could look at someone that has made great decisions mm -hmm. and think, well, that guy's like, you know, he's flawless. He's, he's, he's perfect. He's perfect, man. He, you know, he must have grown up in, you know, in, in the in the Brady Bunch, <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, era, you know, and and that was the, you know, that was his experience, a silver spoon, uh, you know, so to speak. That's not the case most of the time. No, uh, I think a lot of successful people have been through the mud. You have to. You have to, because it's almost. And I, I said this um, with somebody else. There's more rags to riches because we are so desperately fighting. And, and I, I can honestly and genuinely say this, I will die for my business before I accept anything else. Like I will, I will die for it. When you have someone who comes from, I'll take my son. You have someone now, my son's mother owns her own salon and now here I am and I own my businesses. My son isn't ever going to experience the struggle and the pain I did because one, it's my job to make sure he doesn't. But two, we have now put him in this position where when I speak about the things I speak about, he has no idea. He yeah. can't relate to that. <laughs> but when you and I do, there's this inner dog that says, I'm going to fight till the death. Yeah. And it's not a negative fight, but no. it's I'm going to fight obstacles. I'm going to overcome yeah. this and I'm going to make it because I have no other choice. And that's where it's at. That's powerful, man. <laughs> and, and it is, man. It, it is a... It, it, it's it's a dog fight yeah, a, a, yeah. against failure. Yep. Right. Uh, failure is a dog, and we're another dog, and we're gonna we're not falling for no, that. No. No. By by any down. means, you yeah. know we're we're gonna fight through this and and uh, bite ourselves bite through this and whatever it is yeah. that we need to do, we're gonna win. Absolutely. And, and and that's the attitude that comes only about when you have struggled in life. When you've been insecure, like all of us have, you know, uh, and it's like a inside of us, it's like we have to prove something. Always. And I, I still, and so now I've changed it, but I still yeah. have that feeling. I've got to prove myself. Yeah. I've got to prove myself. And now it's just in, in positive outlets. Whereas before it was always, okay, I've got to step the violence up or I've got to step this up or I've got to do something even more bold. And it was just, again, that snowball that where you finally look around and you're like, I'm in too deep. Like yeah. I'm in way too deep is kind of what we're talking about. Now they're proving myself is let's see what we can do this month with the business. Let's see how we can outreach and impact others. And that's, that's now the new mission. That's now the new goal. And that's, that has its own challenges, but not nowhere near where we came from. Yeah. You know, uh, uh, you know, your wife uh, is here in the studio with us and, uh, I'm glad that you brought me yeah, uh, with you. Uh, she's, I, she's everything. Amen, man. Uh, you know, I I try to bring my wife to as many speaking engagements as I, as I can. And yeah. There's a reason for that. 
um, for me, um, again, uh, uh, I want her by my side. Yes. You know, um, I didn't grow up uh, in a family where uh, with two parents mm -hmm. that got along or anything like that. Um, and, you know, I don't have a perfect marriage. Um, I don't think anybody does. I don't does. think anybody and does. If they do, they're liars. They're liars, bro. <laughs> that, that, they're such liars. They got huh? the worst marriage. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I say this, you know, I, uh, I'm a pastor as well, and I, when I go on pulpits and I talk about marriage, yes. I always say this, man, always. And everybody that knows me, you, you know, some of my listeners are <laughs> uh, church family and other people that know me. Sure. And, and I always have said this. If a preacher ever gets on a pulpit and says, you know, uh, and looks into, gazes into his wife's eyes and says, you know, uh, from that pulpit on the church service and says, you know, I can't remember the last time we fought. Right there? Yeah. You lost me. Yeah. Yeah. Because that. <laughs> I'm how? not even listening to your message anymore. To you no more. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah. We're done. Like, I, you know, where's the door? Because <laughs> that's phony baloney, man. That's, exactly. The, the, you know, uh, because there's, there's great marriages. Yeah. There's great marriage, but, you know, it, it's, it, it, it's, it's two people coming together and working out differences and making it happen together. And making sure to ultimately continue to, you know, settle those differences and work together day in and day out. And that's, that's right. a job in itself, oh, right? Because there's times where, I mean, if we're keeping it real, there's times where it's like, man, serious? You want me to take out the trash again? Or <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, are you really barking at me to pick up my socks? Just the yeah, little yeah. things, you know? Like, ah. Get off my back, yeah. you know. But I just pulled a twelve-hour shift, <laughs> <laughs> and that's the—that's I don't know. There's beauty in that, you there know, is, because she is. holds me accountable and makes that's sure right. that I'm always pushing. Yeah. And kind of like you said, there's a—I think honestly, there's more power in bringing my wife with me to these engagements because she has a story as well that's wild. Yeah. And when she shares it, it'll bring a lot of people to tears. But a lot of the things that her and I have dealt so her and I we came from literally poverty as individuals and then when we got together she I owe all my success to her and I always say that like I I would not be where I am if it wasn't for her ultimately slapping me upside mm. my set my head and saying look you got a lot of potential but you do a lot of dumb stuff mm. and if you can get your act together you'll be unstoppable and it was like okay let's do it bro like I think people like us need that. Yeah, I need a slap upside the head. We do, man. I, I couldn't marry. For me, my, my wife is older than me. Yeah. She's same. six years older than me. And um, I, I, I couldn't, I, there's no way I could marry somebody my age or under me. Absolutely. And there was a yeah. reason for that. Yeah. I, you know, I, I I would take full control of that yes. situation. Yes. I know me. And, you know, it, it's exactly what you said. You 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 have someone like that. And they push you, and they push you, and they push you. And if you don't understand, as a man, as a grown man, that that pushing, pushing is actually to help you. And love. In love, yeah. yeah. And, you know, and you know, they get on my, uh, she gets on my nerves. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. You know, I know you're listening. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but it's all gravy. Like, you yeah. know, she really is the best cheerleader on the sideline for me. Yes. Yep. And and, uh, and the way she uh, expresses that sometimes could get annoying. Sometimes yeah. it, it's very healthy. Sometimes it's very powerful. But nonetheless, I, I, you know, uh, we need them. And, um, yeah. you know, so she's here with you. Mm -hmm. And um, talk to us about, look, look, before I even ask that question. Sure. I know that there's some stories inside of 
us yes. that we won't even share with our wives. Yes. There's certain things that let's do it. They have done yeah. <laughs> that they're not going to share with us. <laughs> no, no. And I, I, I'm cool with that. Like, I don't even want to know That's it. what I, you did. You know, <laughs> if I don't summer. know, then yeah, it's yeah. good. I'll pretend it never happened. And exactly. Out of don't, sight, out of mind. Don't tell me. So I don't want you to share that. Okay. But, but what, what, what are those, what's a crazy story in your past that, you're all right, you know, sharing that crazy story. It's funny with so, us over here, and your wife being in here. I, I've I've even kept this a secret from her, um, my mother. So, Dang, are you serious? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're going this way. We're gonna go. All right, I mean, we're, this is my style. If we're gonna go all in. You got to jump all in, Dang. right to the deep end. <laughs> One of the craziest stories I ever had um, is with my father. So, I'm going to spare quite a bit of details, but still paint a picture that you everyone can understand. Yeah. He gets out um, from serving a long term, and when he gets out, he is still connected with the inside and is still doing things for the inside, but now just doing them on the outside. Um, and so at the time, I'm now, I, I, it has to be, it was right when I was around 19. So I just had my son, so I had my son at 18. I just had my son. I'm still trying to figure out who I am. I'm going from job to job to job because now – I just graduated high school, and on top of it, I'm trying to ultimately become a man, become a father, and become a provider all at 19, and I still, I'm like, I, I barely know how to open up a checking and savings account. You know? <laughs> <laughs> that guy was struggling. So one of the times, um, he, presents, uh, he presents an opportunity. It's a negative opportunity, and at the time with where I was going and where I was coming from, it was for, I'll just, it was a hit for money. And so he was so deep that, like we were saying, there was no choice for him. He was at that where it was, <clears throat> I have to do this. I don't want to do it, but I have to do this. And so he said, I'll give you money. I'll give you money, and we'll do this together, or I'll give you all the money, and you can do it yourself. This is your biological dad. Yes, and I love him. So mind you, he at the time was deep into some he demons. He was in it. Yeah, deep into some demons. Um, no family connections because he had burned so many bridges around him and again that's my dad that's my hero regardless of what he does i've always looked up to him as that is the baddest craziest scariest dude i've ever met and when you see him now when you see him right when you see him he's <laughs> tiny like i mean he can't be no more than 155 pounds and six foot you know but i still look at him sometimes with like that's the man yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we were um, in Northern California. Uh, he had just got out, and he starts snowballing quick. So he start, he's not done with his vices. He's not done with alcohol. When my father starts consuming alcohol, not now, but when he starts consuming alcohol, he would go on a binge for days. And this, this guy turns into the most violent Superman anyone has ever experienced. Like, I've, I remember... Just hearing the stories and going to the hospital because he was in ICU because he would run from the cops. And this is a true story. Was running from the cops. When he was running from the cops from a high-speed chase on the freeway, wraps his car around a telephone pole going 80-plus, walks out like nothing happens, and starts fighting the cops. Wakes up, like, in shackles, in a hospital room, wondering what the heck just happened. And this man, that was his, that was his M.O., he would get drunk. He would get violent. He would then take on the entire police force 
and then they'd ship him back to prison. So when he gets out, he's like, I got some work. At the time of being 19, I was so hard up for money. And I was making dumb choices still that we ultimately went out and, you know, that was one of the craziest. I don't want to get too much into yeah, the yeah, details, yeah. but that was one of the craziest stories where the chills and the nervousness and we do this and it's like, you're supposed to be my dad. And that was his way. That was his way at the time of saying, uh, uh, this is how I love you. Here's some money. And you're like, what? Yeah. So without getting and without glorifying, it was a very violent encounter. And um, we, we, we left it at that. And him and I buried it, you know, never spoke about it. But the only reason for saying is because that was probably one of the craziest memories I've had. I've had a lot of crazy memories, but that one uh, speaks out quite a bit of like, I'm never going to do that with my kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, I had such a, a, a unhealthy um, growing up with, with my with my father, an yes. unhealthy relationship with him. Um, the dude stabbed me. Yes. You know, uh, you think about a dad, you go, uh, yeah, that, that shouldn't happen. No. You know, uh, but, but I couldn't even fathom doing that, let yeah. alone like, I mean, my boy's 12 and I don't mean to air it up, but yeah, even yeah, sometimes no. like just a, the idea of a quote unquote spanking. I'm like, Oh dude, that breaks my heart. You yeah, know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I spank my kids uh, quite a bit. Yeah. Same, same. <laughs> because you know, you, you gotta give them, they got it, but it hurts, dude. Yes. Right? Yeah. They, you know, now at 11, uh, he doesn't get spanked all that much. For but, sure. Uh, but growing up, he did. And, and, yeah. and, and even so you like, it does. It's yeah. like, and then you had that conversation after the spanking, right? Yeah. Hey, this is why. Yeah. And and then, you know, there's dialogue there. But with my dad, uh, you know, I, it, it was, uh, I hated the dude. Um, yeah. You know, and then the next thing you know, um, you know <laughs> the guy stabbed me. Um, it, 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 I'm, I'm actually uh, writing a, a, another uh, part of my story um, involving him. Um, but I listened to, to, you know, here's your dad. And he's telling you, let's make money. Let's make money this way. Yeah. See, I, I don't think America's ready to hear that kind of story. No. And they're, they don't not, want to. They don't want to. I mean, again, like, it's the out of sight, out of mind. If yeah. I don't hear it, if I don't see it, it never happened. It never happened. But it's it not did. part of it. Yeah. yeah. Man, man, it, it's crazy. So what was that breaking point for you? Uh, what was What was rock bottom? Like, what was your, you know, a lot of us had to hit that rock bottom. Yeah. And I think that looking back, uh, um, we appreciate that rock bottom because mm -hmm. we had to hit that. Yes. We had to get to the point where nothing and no one can help us. So what was your rock bottom looking like? I've had two major rock bottoms. One was at 18. Um, the, one of the main reasons, and I always say this, my son is a blessing that I've never fully comprehend. And not just being like a typical parent. My son has saved my life, I kid you not, probably three legitimate times to where if I, or when I share these stories with him, he won't, I, I'm almost certain he won't even fathom how much he had an influence on, on my life. At 18, we're still living in East San Diego and I'm walking home. My stepdad and my mother were very strict because my stepdad was so disciplined and so militant. So I had curfews and rules and stupid chores that, again, kids my age didn't have. 
and it was a lot of psychological warfare on his behalf because this is i'll get to the part he would make me watch him beat his kids my stepbrothers and we were all around the same age my mother made it very clear and my father made it very clear you will not touch my son so as a way for him to kind of get to me he would make me watch him beat my stepbrothers in front of me in the living room and i would sit on the couch and he would just go to town on them now they would do a lot of dumb stuff i'm not saying they deserve the beatings they got because they would take some full grown man punishment and wow. you're just like and my mom would cry my mom would go out of the room or my mom would try to intervene and once that man was locked in he was locked in um so i hated my stepdad kind of like how much you said that you had an issue with your father for my stepdad and even still i don't respect the man at all i don't like the man at all i just let it be what it is but i whenever we see each other there's still tension between us yeah. and for my mother and for my sister i i just i'll leave like i'll just there's no point for me to be there yeah, yeah. so where i'm going with all of this rock bottom was at 18 18 i had a curfew of 9 p.m um and i wasn't driving at the time i was still just walking and still trying to battle my demons of money, power, and respect and this built-up reputation that I had behind the scenes. In school, I was known for being, you know, a troubled, you know, misguided gangster kid. But behind the scenes was where all the real uh, stuff was going down. I was walking home, and the only way I could get home by 9 p.m. was to take an alley. And you and I both know that by 9 p.m. it's dark. There's no business for me being in an alley by myself. Yeah. If I had, you know, a few of my friends, sure, let's walk down an alley. At the time, the alley was clear. So there was no one in sight. There's no cars in sight. It's just a dark, cold, empty alley. Yeah. I walk down it. Now I'm walking fast and I'm checking my shoulder almost every other step because I know it's a hostile environment. As I'm walking, I, I hear it. I hear, where are you from? Right? In a real aggressive, real alpha male check your heart kind of thing where are you from and i knew fuck here it comes you know yeah. so i turn around and i'm not i'm not one to i'm not one to get vocal i'm not one to you know what i mean like try to puff my chest up i'm from here i do this whatever whatever yeah. it's just i looked at all three of them and i knew with the look in their eyes it was gonna hurt so i had got stabbed and i have the scar still i got stabbed in my head they had cut me in my throat from here to here and then they had cut my stomach open and I was bleeding out. And it was just all over. Now, backstory, I've always had my head shaved for football. It was just so much easier for, for football and for hygiene just to shave my head. Now, I have a shaved head. I am already, by 18, I am already have two half sleeves and my entire chest was covered in black and gray tattoos. So I looked every part of what I looked like and I knew what I was doing as far as with my exterior image. Again, it was to cover up the insecurities I had yeah. and to have this money, power, respect image. You have to, you have to, again, you have to look the part. You got to blend in with your environment. Yeah. So once they stab me, my mom picks me up and my mom has always been the one that loves, um, gruesome medical stories like that's my mom she would wind up always piecing my dad back together so that's where her quote-unquote infatuation with scars and blood because my dad would come home he wouldn't go to the cops this was when i was young and she would fix him up stitch him up bandage him up put him back on his feet my mom has always loved again blood and guts so to say 
when she pulls up, because I'm crying and I'm like, you got to come get me because this is it. I know this is it. My entire face was covered in blood from the cut. I was bleeding out from here and she pulls up and I, oh, it gives me chills. Like I have goosebumps. She pulls up and her eyes are as big as they can get. And she's never like this. My mom is like very non-emotional, hardcore mom, like brutal. That's the yeah, best yeah, yeah. way. And she starts crying and she says, okay, I'm, all, I'm getting teary. Get in the car. It's going to be okay. As calm as she can say it. And that's when I knew I'm going to die. And that's all I was thinking as I'm bleeding out. This is it. This is it. This is it. And so we get to the hospital. They wind up, uh, you know, putting 10 staples. They had to stitch it underneath. And then they had to put staples on top. They literally said, had they gone a centimeter deeper, they would have hit my jugular and I would have bled out. So I was so grateful. It was a blessing from God. Yeah. And uh, that was rock bottom number one. I then find out that I'm having my son probably about, probably about, seven months later and my mom said we're getting you out of here because before that there had been a lot of um targeted violence towards us because i started making the switch from i no longer want to live a life of gangs i no longer want money power and respect i want to try to see if i can make my dreams come true of playing college football and so and i and i was reading this in your story and it put chills in me the part in your story when you said you had went out on the yard and everybody was around you and you said, I'm turning my life over to God and I just wrote my own death wish was something, I'm paraphrasing, but something yeah. along those lines, same thing. When I had made the choice to start playing football and start taking my grades serious, you start making some very serious vibrations in what you're doing and who you're mm -hmm. with. Because it's a lot like, uh, I believe it's crabs. Or, or, or it's crabs. When you put crabs in a pot and one crab tries to escape, all the other ones pull it back. And this guy just wants to escape. And the other ones are like, nope. And so they bring you back in and they bring you back in and they remind you and they remind you, you're not you anymore. You belong to us. You can't make your decisions. You belong to us. And so making that while still being in high school was a battle of its own. So when 18 hit and the stabbing took place, my mom and uh, stepdad were already going through a rocky marriage. She said, let's move. This is where my son comes in and he saves me. My son's mother and my son are in Sacramento. So we said, I'm not going to be like my dad. I want to be active and I want to be in his, in his life. We moved almost, almost that week. We picked everything up and said, enough is enough. Because the attacks and the retaliation started getting too close to home to where I finally said, if we don't move, you guys are next. And it was, it was very serious and it was a very chilling conversation. And my mom knew too. And it was more so for my sister because my sister and I are 10 years apart. She's 10 years younger. So I said, look, if we don't get out of here, you know what I mean? Who knows what happens to her and not, we, you know, there's the codes in this with principles, right? Yeah. But still, it's just that what if, you yeah. know? I'm 11 years apart from my brother. I'm the oldest, and um, you know, I I thank God that um, my mom made a decision. And, and you have to do radical moves quick if you're gonna change the direction that you're going. And I'm, you know, if you're out there and, and you're listening, and you're an ex-convict, <clears throat> and you bumped into this podcast, and you're going, well, you know. Here's my rock bottom, or you're in your rock bottom right now. 
like that analogy about the crabs. Now I got to go get crabs. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but but that's the truth. You have to be willing to do something for you. And you can't be dependent on some club, on some gang, on your homeboys. You got to man up at some point and make a decision that's going to cost you some friends. A lot. A lot of friends. Yeah. And some of us, you know, that's all we knew, that culture, whether it's the drug culture, the gang culture, whatever it is. That's all we know, and we kind of get scared that, you know, um, well, now who's going who's gonna to be my friend now? Exactly. And not only that, but like you said, not only who's going to be my friend, who's going to protect me? Yeah. Because there is that part now, too, where it's no longer it's, no longer, it's me versus you. It's now me versus you versus you versus you versus you, me versus the world. Yeah. Because now you're marked. Now, now you're a walking target and you're free game for any and everybody. And yeah. you are literally, it, it's almost like being Rambo where yeah. you're just like, man, you're always looking over your shoulder. You're always wondering who wants to talk to you. Why are you trying to talk to me? Who, like, I don't need friends. And so you almost go from being dependent and relying on, like you said, the homeboys and the homies. And then all of a sudden you have to become okay with being completely alone. Yeah. But if we get deep with this, the reason we join gangs and the reason we get into this is because we did not like being alone. Yep. We didn't like, again, we didn't like being alone because we didn't accept ourselves. So we went to the gang for them to accept us. Yeah. And to Validation. Make, exactly. And you make a, a huge change like that. There's a lot of, of ripples that happen in your life that you have to address quickly. Yeah. And, and you know what? These are man moves. That's what I call them. Man moves. Yeah. Because you got to be willing to ride solo. Yeah, and, and you're gonna have to if you want to like detach from anything that's and it doesn't have to be a gang. It could be a bad relationship with yeah. you know one or two people, and um, this is what's what's sinking you. Then you have to make a man move and say you know I I, I don't want to. There, there's got to be more than this. Uh, for me, my, my moment was was the Lord. I I you know, <laughs> you're sitting in in the shoe program. Mm -hmm. And uh, I wasn't looking for it. This, uh, you know, uh, this little uh, uh, black lady brings the gospel to me and, you know, and is so persistent that God can change my life. And, and all along, I'm going, this lady's nuts, man. Yeah, yeah. What are you talking about? Like, the, don't you know where you're at? Like, yeah. this is the shoe program. This, like, we're, there's 16 of us in this pod right here. yeah. yeah. And we're so we're deemed so dangerous that in a maximum security prison, a four yard, we can't even be in that yard. Correct. And and you're telling me, you know, this these were my thoughts. And you're telling me that somehow your your God is gonna just boom, and I'm gonna wake up one morning, and uh, and I'm gonna say to myself. Oh, yeah, you know what? I, I think killing people, I'm kind of done with that. Yeah, yeah, you don't yeah. wake up like that. Yeah. That's how it happens, right? But I think God puts people along your path, and, and those, are, those are signals, man. Like, for me, she was my, that was, hey, this, this is the way out. Yeah. Like, God can really do something with your life. And I'm going, you know, I'm very early in my sentence here. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I... Everything that that you know, as a as a gang member, 
early on, you know, you 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 look at Pelican Bay, you look at New Folsom, you look at Corcoran, and and we look at those three prisons uh, here in California, and we go in in the gang culture, right? And you go, once I make it to one of these, you I'm made a made man. It. Yeah, and then you find out, man. I've been bamboozled. That's when the real truth hits you. And again, yeah, man. it's you're in too deep and it's you're too, too late. And it's, yeah, it's too late and it's too late. Yeah. <laughs> you figured that out, right? And the only one serving your time is you. Is you, man. Nobody else is helping you serve your time. No. You're, you're in there, eight by 10, all by yourself. So I, I, I want to make that turn because I, I like this. I like this conversation, man. Um, because. You, you shared about your two rock bottoms. And then how does business come into play? This is where it gets crazy. So the second rock bottom I had was um, 2016. Uh, 2016, again, I, I have to take ownership and accountability. I was making bad choices still in life. But I was, they weren't the choices that I was making. Before when I was on the streets, they were just, selfish decisions and at the time i was married at the time um when i was married i was and i wasn't cheating but what i was doing was ultimately being selfish as far as i would go from job to job to job and i wasn't providing any financial security let alone any kind of security because at the time my ex-wife looked at me like a flight risk in many ways because i had all this unresolved childhood trauma I had commitment issues, you name it, didn't like getting close, didn't like holding a job for too long, and always felt like I was smarter than the person who would run the company, which is wild, because I never came from a business background. <laughs> so 2016, uh, I put a gun to my head and I squeezed the trigger because I had hit rock bottom. I just got fired from the railroad because I got caught stealing time, meaning I would say that I was in there at 4 a.m., but really would show up at 6 a.m., and work an eight hour shift, but claimed I work a 12 hour shift. And when they caught me, I resigned. I said, yep, I did it, but I'm leaving. Like I, I quit because I didn't want to get fired. Yeah. That then turned into a huge outpouring because at the time, um, my ex-wife was like, what are you doing? My son's mom, same thing. Tyler, you're almost 30, you know? And, and I was struggling. I, I didn't know how to be a legitimate man that you and I talk about. The idea of being a man was always like alpha and testosterone and like hmm. like it was it was a wrong idea it was like rambo it yeah, just yeah. wasn't you realistic. don't cry yeah <laughs> and it was it was horrible so i had created my own reality that i had to live in and created such a big mess that i ultimately was tired of fighting in the sense of fighting life's struggles life's battles life's you know everything and so I wanted to quit. And so by doing so, and I had a lot of negative self-dialogue. Like I, and I'm sure everybody who listens can say the same thing. Like I can tear myself to pieces in seconds if I allow myself to. And so started down this downward spiral of negative thoughts and negative thoughts and started believing my own lies. And next thing you know it, I've got a gun to my head in the back of my truck and I'm crying because I don't want to live anymore. So when I squeeze the trigger, the gun jams. And again, that was my wow. rock bottom where I was in such a chaos of emotions of 
relief but sadness because I didn't actually go through with it. <clears throat> relief that I actually didn't die, but sadness because I had finally made the decision. And when you make a decision like that and you're like, I'm going to do it. Yeah. And you finally work up the courage to take such a bold move. It was, again, polar opposites is, is the story of my entire life. So I told myself, I am never, and this is where it starts. The way I start living life, it starts from here and stems from this. I'm going to live my life to the fullest because I ultimately just tried to take my life. And there's a bigger purpose here that I have no idea what this purpose is, but I'm going to live all my passions and my desires to the fullest. So give it about four more months. Now we're talking April, 2017. I've always had a passion for working out. Um, as a kid and when I was battling with all my, which was crazy, when I was battling all my drug addictions, I was labeled and diagnosed as being bipolar. Now they were saying, and this is where I was like, they were just pumping meds down me in eighth grade. I'm what? 12, 12, 13. <laughs> yeah. And they're like, you're, you're bipolar. You're this. And I had all these labels that I started accepting and started justifying my bad behavior with, but what I'm getting at is the only thing that ever cured me and my mood was working out. It was my, when people say it's iron therapy, I believe it. Like it, it is full on iron therapy. Anytime I'm working out, life is good. And, and my problems go away. I get the endorphins kicking and, and I'm on top of the world. So I would sometimes for football work out two, three times a day just to escape my reality and to feel good for a little bit. So now kind of jumping back to when I'm in the truck and thinking like, what am I going to do? I've always wanted to be a personal trainer always, but I struggled with school. And when I struggled with school, I have a learning disability and I have test anxiety. So that struggle, anytime it would come to wanting to take a certification and trying to pass a certification, it would look like a foreign language. I knew it. I knew this stuff inside and out. Cause I loved it. You put it on paper and I was, <gasps> And I would lose it. I would lose it. Like I would get, I would bomb a test that my mom was like, you know that you know book better stuff. than the author does, you yeah. know, like what's wrong with you? So I would struggle. Um, so I jumped into personal training. So April, 2017, I was a per an independent personal trainer, meaning I was paying a facility rent, but I would collect hundred percent of everything I would make. So when I finally decided to do that, it was in Elk Grove and I walk in and again, everything's a competition, money, power, and respect. I had the same idea and beliefs, but it was now positive. I wanted to be the best trainer in Sacramento. I wanted to be the most popular, but not in a bad way because I brought that much value. Mind you, I had no business experience before this. So everything I did on day to day was I winged it. And I just jumped in the deep end every day and tried to figure out how to swim. And at the end of the day, I'd come back and then say, okay, we're going to jump in the deep end tomorrow and figure out how to do it all over again. So from April, 2017, um, again, my first client was my eight year old son. I had nobody <laughs> like I, I didn't know how to sell. I didn't know how to target. I didn't know anything about marketing. Like it was just strictly all off social media and all off Instagram. And my, my business smarts at the time said, if I can show people that I can train my eight year old son, then hopefully I can show them I can train anybody. And we're talking that is a long shot of trying to get social proof when it comes to any kind of thing. Yeah. It's nuts. But I ran with it 100% and never looked back. It then turned into by the end of April 
I'm sorry, by the end of 2017, I was now the trainer to former Miss USA. I had the city of Elk Grove what? email me and say, we want you to apply and be our director of health and fitness. When I got the email from the city, I literally looked at her and said, excuse my language, I'm because I, I get this email and it says urgent, please, you know what I mean? Please open. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, I didn't, I either, I either pissed someone off yeah. or, or I'm getting sued. I got, yeah. I, I had yeah. no idea yeah, that yeah. this was happening. Yeah. So when we read it and I was like, no, you read it. Cause I don't want to take the bad news. Yeah. And she reads it and she gets this big smile on her face. And now I'm looking at her like, let me see my phone. You know, what are you smiling <laughs> about? And it's, it says, and I still have it. We want you to apply for our director of health and fitness so that you could work with our city personnel. What? I'm blown. Mind blown. Me? Like, no way. That's insane, dude. So now this is where the story really starts getting fun and interesting. My mother at the time, and as she should, if I was in her shoes, I could totally see why, was pretty much like fed up. Like, you're going from job to job to job. Here Tyler goes now trying to chase something else. And, yeah, yeah. you know, and he's not going to see it through. And we'll see. Yeah. When this happened, she then starts bragging. Like, look at what he's doing. <laughs> and for the first time, right? Like, because yeah. my mom and I had a very, and we still do, we're working on it. And our relationship is a lot better now. But back then, our relationship was very, like, standoffish like i love you but don't get too close to me and we wouldn't hug there was very minimal affection between us and it's been just recently that we start like i love you <laughs> wow, and it's, it's it's weird yeah, yeah. you know it's and, weird because it's like <laughs> she is and when you one of these days when you meet her she's yeah, yeah. such she's such a like has such a hard outer exterior yeah. but inside she's made of gold but yeah. she doesn't like people getting close to her because she's been hurt ultimately by so many relationships yeah. so it's always like you know that typical hardcore mom so by the end of now we're now talking and we're going to make the transition to 2018 mm -hmm. mom and i are looking at opening up a fitness franchise mind you when the the guy sends over all the documents to become a franchisee we start reading all the fine print and it literally was a thousand pages of agreements, terms and conditions. Now I can't speak about certain numbers. There were agreements in the terms and conditions when you would ultimately be like, how do I make money in this? Like, when do I make money in this? Because if I sign this document and agree to the terms and conditions, you make all the money and I ultimately work for you. And it was my mom. So I, still a little weak-minded, not believing in myself, I was like, let's just sign it. Let's just open up. It's fine. We'll make it work. And it was her. She's like, you don't even see your success. We're going to open up our own gym. And I was almost at the time like, I don't think that's smart. I don't think that's smart. You know, and, and she was the one who ultimately pushed me to open up Absolute Flex Appeal. Wow. So it was, it was nuts. It, and I'll take it one step further. When we finally opened up the first gym, she had sold her house. That was my mom's only nest egg. So you talk about, you know, this woman has been abused throughout her entire life through all these different relationships. She finally now is comfortable. And on top of it, she was using the house for her childcare business. And my mom like has a degree in child psychology. Childcare is life for my mother. Then to sell it and say, let's open up a gym. You know how much pressure that put on me, like on a daily basis? If I don't make it, I can fend for myself. But now if I don't make it, 
My mom, my wife, my son, my grandparents are all relying on this to make it. And it would it would drive me into panic attacks and anxiety <laughs> attacks at night. Well, it, it's like a poker table, right? Yeah. And, and, and you don't know what that dude has. You don't know what that contract has. You don't know what, you know, all that stuff, right? And then I think it has a lot to do with, like, the doubts, self-doubts. Yes. From, you know, from life. You know, and uh, I love what you just said. You know, if I don't make it, then, well, then that's cool. I don't make it. Yeah. But when it affects your mother, mm-hmm. your wife, your, 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 the people that are closest to you. And depend on you the and, most. And they yeah. depend on you the most. And if you tank, it's over. And you have to now go back and tell them, I messed up yeah. and I failed. Yeah. Not only did I fail, but now I failed all of you. Yeah. And now we're all in this hard situation together. Yeah. So there's a lot. There was a lot. And this is another thing. And, and now that I, I speak about it and grateful for, if it wasn't for business, my relationship with my mother wouldn't be as good as it is now because I would have this, I would still harbor this resentment and this bitterness. Yeah. But through these tough situations and being stuck in a situation where we have to make it, you eventually have to start talking and communicating. And that's where the growth is starting to happen. Because wow. we understand, look, this is where we got to get to goal-wise. This is the numbers we need to hit. I better talk to you so that you and I can figure out if you're struggling or if I'm struggling, how we can help each other. That's 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 amazing, man. I mean, that that's and it is. It's a poker table, and that guy is going, you know what? Here it is. Yeah. I'm all in. Yeah. yeah. That's what your you and your mom and, and your wife did. It's yeah. like just push the chips out there and here we go. You know, it has to work. It has, you know? Yeah, it has to work, and 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 praise God, it, it did. Exactly. You know uh, that see, stories like this, and this is why we like in this podcast, we're gonna bring you like the rawness, and and the real stuff, not the you know, yeah, uh, you know, I was funded, and yeah, uh, yeah. you know, we had a uh, capital here to to you know a cushion. <laughs> I've been in business for over twenty years. I never had a cushion. Yeah. I never had, you know, like, you know, here's $200,000 just in case yeah, it gets yeah, rough. Yeah. In case coronavirus hits. Yeah, day, you know, you know? And, and you're just going to be, you're going to be all right. Like, we didn't have that. We no. started with our own credit cards. Yeah. We started in debt. We like, we started backwards. Yeah. yeah you know, we started yeah. backwards. And, you know, but, but when you, when you, when you get to experience just a little bit of that success, you kind of go, whoa! I can do it. I can do it. Yeah, like yeah. This, you know, I hate contracts, dude. <laughs> the I hate. I ha- I don't like reading them. Yeah. I, I love books. I, I've always read books. I, you know, and I I share about that in my story. Yeah. How my dad, you know, I couldn't watch. I, I love baseball. I love football, but growing up, I was not allowed to watch sports because he, he was like, sports is for you know for dumb people. You want something good? Here's a book, and he would throw books. Like literally, throw books at me. Yeah. And, and you know, it, it forced me to read. <laughs> it helped when I was in you know incarcerated all those years. Yeah, right. Because that kind of like you know it became a, an escape uh, absolutely uh, for me in there. But I still can't stand contracts. Yeah. And I, I you know I'm in the middle of a feature film in the whole nine yards. Yeah, I got the right people around. See, me yeah, because. If somebody pushes a contract on me, I, I, I'm like you. Yeah. I'm just signing it, man. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, and it yeah. probably says, you know, yeah, you're going to make a dollar. Yeah. You know? and, and I wouldn't know any different. Yeah. But 
I got good people, and, and I think you need good people, and, and God gives you really good people to surround you. In your case, you know, you have your wife, you have your mom. Uh, I, I like how, you know, you, 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 you put those together, and here you are, all three of you guys, you know, and, and, your, and your son and, and whoever else is involved in this. Yeah. And it's causing emotional growth, mm-hmm. financial growth. It's causing stability. And it's, and it, you know, it's the, the stretching you out, it's painful. Yes, I was just going to touch on that. But it's worth it. Mm-hmm. And you have to be stretched out. Yeah. You know, you, it's, it, it's painful, man. As a business owner, I know how it is. I know how it feels. But it's needed. And it makes you appreciate the little, the little triumphs, the yeah. little victories along the way. You know, um, small businesses, uh, for the most part, don't make us bazillionaires. No, they they afford us to put our kids in private school. Yeah, you know, get a a, a nice outfit for you know the weekend, nice dinner. Um, but those are the perks, man. And, mm-hmm. and 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 you get to really enjoy those moments. What's your mission in life now, man? Honestly, the the biggest thing, right? And I got to go with the first thing that comes to my mind. The first thing now is setting my son up, not only, so setting my son up for success in all areas of life, emotional, physical, uh, financial, all of it. A lot of times we as parents drop the ball on our kids because with all due respect, our parents drop the ball on us. And so kind of like what you said, right? And and I, I had this mentality the whole time is like when my son was growing up and it wasn't until just a few years ago, I really started to have to change the way I spoke to him, right? And I really started to have to adapt and adopt new ways of being a parent, not that old school, do as I say, or I'll spank you like I used to yeah. back in the day, because that doesn't work. Yeah. And it doesn't, it didn't work for us, so why do we expect it to work for our kids? So now it's setting my son up and pushing him into experiences that are way beyond his years, so that by the time he hits 18, He's way beyond his years. So that is ultimately my mission. Not only is that one big mission, but the mission is still the same, is to ultimately have my family experience financial freedom through the fruits of our labor. And that is one thing. Like, so I'm 31 and I don't go out on the weekends. I, I really, when I say this, like I don't, there's Instagram entrepreneurs who are out in the clubs and taking cool pictures. And on the weekends, her and I are probably in bed by like 10 o'clock. And like, <laughs> as boring as it sounds, I'm like, let me read my book in peace. You yeah, know? yeah. Like, that's normally my only request. And I do it because there's so much on the line as well as now that there's brands, right? Like yeah. if you were to go back out and you were to start hanging around the old crew and the old friends, what happens to your business? Now you start inviting negativity yeah. into what you're doing. So the mission is always to be a better person, to be a better father, and to ultimately set my family up for success. What does 20 years from now look like for you? Or, or let me rephrase it. How would you like 20 years from now to look like? Man, I'm a visionary, so... We can paint a big picture. Just do it. 20 years from now. <laughs> all right. So 20 years from now, what's that? Puts my son at 32. So at 32, yeah, I want my son to ultimately have one to two profitable businesses and have a, you know, quote unquote, happy marriage, yeah. um, one or two kids, 
and he he's lived his dreams. His dream right now as a 12-year-old is he wants to play in the NFL. So if he can make it through college and he can make it to the NFL, I'm happy. Even if he makes it to college, great. I don't want to pay for college. <laughs> um, at 51, I, I am... I want to legitimately become an investor to help other small businesses. I don't want to do it. Don't get me wrong. Like the money is an aspect of it, yeah. but the passion is to help the small businesses. Like you said, where you and I, we start behind and yeah. we have to fight our way to become profitable. Yeah. And we have to go through a battlefield of just raw emotions. Yeah. So if I can help and ultimately become a quote unquote shot caller for these small businesses, that's that's huge. That's huge, man. And that's a great that's a great way. That's a great, you know, vision board to have. You know, and, and we need people along our side. I I I'm a big believer that the right people, like God sends the right people at the right time in different stages in our life. Like for me, um, you know, I have a business partner. His name is Michael Pyatt. He's the one that saw something, yeah, you know, in me and went, you know. And how we even became business partners and, and friends. This dude, you know, he, he he's he does very well in life. Yeah. Financially and the whole in yards. Dude, he's got it going on, man. Um, Why he got involved with me, I have no clue to this day, bro. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. this dude, I shared my story with him. You know, his, his uh, one of his daughters was my do one of my daughter's best friend. We knew each other for about eight years, uh, you know, but it was always very like, you know, it, look, there's a difference between men and women. There is. I don't care what anybody says. Yes. We're very like our words are very few. <laughs> when men meet, it's like, hey, what's up, brother? Hey, good to see you. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. And we talk sports and it's so shallow. Yeah. And it really is. It's like, you know, little words here and there. And then, you know, peace. You 15 know. minutes later, I'm out. Yeah. I'm out. Like, you know, <laughs> yeah. We go to the bathroom. We're not talking in the bathroom. Yeah. Anybody talks in the bathroom, in a men's bathroom, we're going to sock you. Right? Yeah, yeah. We yeah. don't talk in the bathroom, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, don't don't look at me. Yeah. Don't, no eye contact. No eye don't contact. Do don't do it. You know, do your thing. Get out of the bathroom. <laughs> wash your hands, right? Before the coronavirus, wash your darn hands, right? <laughs> if you don't, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call you out. Yeah. <laughs> but... But that's like, that's men thing, right? That's just, it's, we're built like that. <laughs> but so those were our conversations with Michael Pyatt, with me and my business partner. And one day he says, you know, hey, Anna, uh, uh, you, you have a sign company. I need some signs. He comes over. I share my story with him. And this dude says, does anybody know? And I said, you know, I share it, you know, a little Bible study groups and one on ones, mm -hmm. but I don't think, not, not really. He says, dude, man, uh, you gotta write a book. I have no former, yeah. formal education. <laughs> yeah, yeah. None. Like, you know, my education is just, you know, South Central and the Rampart. That's my yeah. education yeah. right there. I don't have nothing on the wall. Like, you know, <laughs> nothing. And he says, no, we got to get a book. And he just, like, God puts it in his heart, and here we went. The next thing you know, we become a bestseller. Yeah. Which is like, how'd that happen? Wild. That's wild, dude. You know, and I remember him and me sitting up in the hills. Are you staying in Burbank? Yeah. So there's this, the hills, right? Yeah. There's, so 
Burbank is such a beautiful city, man. It's very Americana still. Yeah. Very small knit. You know, if you're on the five, you'll miss it. <laughs> you know, uh, you'll 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 pass right by it, and not even know what you just passed by. <laughs> and it's the media capital of the world. You know, it is. Warner it is. Brothers is here. Disney, all the big wigs, right? And I remember sitting, uh, in the in like in the like at the foot of the of the mountain here, and I remember my business partner saying this to me. He said. Casey, by the time we're done with this, by the time we're done with this, you're going to own a house up there. Wow. And I looked at him, and, like, it had a, I had a moment right there in this car with him, and I said, what are you talking about? He said, Casey, God's going to put you up here, and we're going to tell the story, and it's going to change lives. I believe that your story, the story that you just shared here the, the story that you've lived. You know, people got to listen to this. People got to see this. People got to read this. One of the coolest things that I've noticed about millionaires, everyone reads. Reads a lot. A lot. Every millionaire reads. There is structure. They stay hungry. Mm -hmm. They're determined. Failure is not an option. They 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 are fighters, and 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 look, man. I, I, now my, my my story has changed. <laughs> I never would have thought of success like this. Like mm -hmm. I, I never, you know. And I've rubbed shoulders with senators, with I mean, uh, you name it. I've been around some, some. I've sat in circles of millionaires. I've been in front of them, speaking to them. And, and I'm a guy from the streets, man. Yeah. I'm a guy that, you know, this, your story, Tyler, is important. And it needs to be in book form. And it needs to be done in a way where, I mean, you're going to help people, dude. I Thank know you. you are. Thank you. Uh, and I think, uh, you know, the, this vision board that you have for 20 years from now, I, I, I'm excited. I hope you invite me to. I will. 20 years from now, you know, uh, and, and I want to, you know, break bread with you at that Please. moment. And, and um, because it's an important story. Uh, I want to thank you, man, for, for coming in. Thank you. You know, uh, um, I know sometimes when you, when you, when you share your heart, it's a different, it's a difficult thing. Yeah. You know, because you're, you're bringing out, you know, ugly stories. Mm -hmm. Um, stories of survival and uh but these are stories that that the people need to hear because so many people want to give up oh and and it's so common i mean yeah it, we're all wired for comfort and that's the tough part it, it, and especially in nowadays with the convenience that we have at our fingertips and the comfort that we all want and it, it's not it's not common to want to give up and it's not common to want to cut corners that's it's just it's tough you know it's tough to make the climb i wanted to touch on one thing yeah yeah, yeah and, yeah. and it's totally curveball right you had mentioned about these these quote-unquote successful figures these senators these these people with a big title and i have been in the same situation in a similar room with similar people and i sit there and i want to ask you this <laughs> i sit there and i look around and i'm like I don't belong here. Ah. Right? <laughs> Do you ever struggle with imposter syndrome? 
Bros. I, I struggle with it daily. Like people, Every time. People will shake my hands, and some of these guys are nine-figure, meaning they're 100 million to 999 million is what they make per year. Yeah. And they're shaking hands, talking to me like we're like best of friends and we go back to high school. Yeah. And I'm like, I, why are you shaking my hand? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah man. I, you know, I, I, I've had that. And, and you're right. Like, you're sitting in these rooms or in this, these meetings and they're so intrigued yeah. about you. And then, and then you're like, I want to learn about you. Yeah, I, like, I want you know. I, I've had I had this one bazillionaire guy, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and I remember I was in this uh, in this in, in, in the speaking engagement, and he waits until everybody's gone, dude. And and these are influential people yeah. that are in this room, but he waits till they're all gone, and he says, "I want to sit down with you." And I remember we're in this in this humongous ranch. Dude. <laughs> Like I have a, a fire pit. Yeah, it, it looks nothing like this. <laughs> like this fire pit was the size of this building. Yeah, dude. like a huge, like it literally fit. I think about like maybe seventy five guys all around. Wow, that's a big fire pit. That's huge. That's huge. And this, you know, he bought this guy bought all his neighbors out. Yeah, of course. He bought all his neighbors out. Yeah, in Santa Barbara, like he started buying out every ranch next to him on across the street from him. It's nuts, right? Yeah. And this this guy, this, this and he's an older guy. And he waits and he says this to me, bro. He says, I want some I want some of your wisdom. And I'm I'm going, dude, I almost like fell off my seat, right? Like, yeah, yeah. like <laughs> Don't <what>? disrespect <laughs> me like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah like, <laughs> I want to learn from you. You're yeah. the one that made it to 70 yeah. with that kind of figures, right? Yeah, yeah. And, but but and you know what I've also learned? That a lot of like real successful, because we have some some imposters too, big ones. Some like they say that they're entrepreneurs and they're really not. Yeah, you know they're in and out. Yep, and they're not focused. Yeah, <laughs> those aren't entrepreneurs. Yeah. I'm talking about the guys that really make it. I've noticed. I don't know if you, you you've had the same thing. I've noticed that real multimillionaires are actually really down to earth. Yeah. And super humble, mm -hmm. like like this guy. Yeah, what do I have to teach you? You know, and, and for him it was like, you have this relationship with God that I don't. Like I have money, yeah, but I don't have that. And he wanted to hear my my relationship about my relationship with the Lord. And you know, we spent I don't know maybe two hours just talking wow. there. You know, some of us uh, out there, you listening. How many of you have wanted just to spend, you know, their time is valuable. Oh. And they literally know it. They know it. It is this much per minute to speak with me. And Absolutely. You're like, I, I don't even have that figured out <laughs> yet, but okay. <laughs> and companies will pay them. Yeah. Hand over fist mm -hmm. to just 10 minutes. Yeah. To, to Just to show up. Just a picture. Just a picture. <laughs> just a photo op yeah. is going to cost you some major bucks. Yeah. And for me to sit down with this guy and talk. It, it was just like, but, but and I've you're in his that. backyard, right? Yeah. That's the other thing. You start getting invited to these people's homes, and you yeah. start really seeing this is how you live. Like yeah. you, like our story, same thing. And you and I are so much alike; it's crazy. There was what eight of us. There's eight of us in a three bedroom apartment before we moved into the house that we just moved in, and so we're all grateful for it. 
we move, we go from eight of us into a three bedroom apartment. And I'm very thankful for this. And there's a huge yeah. blessing into a home with three stories. And, and, and it now fits all of us, right? The whole family's taken yeah, yeah. care of. But you go from stuff to like that, and you're like, I, I, need, I still have trouble adjusting to it because it's not normal life. It's not. That's right. And your neighbors are so friendly and so inviting. And I'm like, every time a neighbor sees me, I'm like, oh, they're going to call the cops on me. Yeah, they're going to call the cops. <laughs> you know, it, it, it is hilarious. You know, uh, you, and it's the simple things, right? Yeah. Like for me and my wife, it's like co having coffee <laughs> in the backyard. That's our that's our weekend. Yeah. That's our weekend. Like I've been spending a, a lot of time with her in the backyard, and we just talk. Yeah. We just talk and and and, and we hang out with a cup of coffee. Nothing, you know. But that's that's amazing. Yeah, dude. <laughs> yeah. That that's that's like real real stuff. Yeah. You know, and, and we're getting to share this and. You know, we're, we're about to make another move, you know, uh, to 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 hopefully uh, a dream home here. It, and I don't I don't like saying that uh, because to me, a dream home is anywhere where there's peace. Yeah. Where there's peace. That's a dream home. Doesn't matter. the it doesn't size. matter the yeah. size. It, it, it's a dream home when there's peace and, and there's memories and there's a lot of laughter Man, I laugh, bro. I like. I love laughing. Yeah, yeah. I I love funny stuff, stupid funny stuff, you know. Because you look back around in life, you didn't get to laugh a lot. No, nope, it was no emotion, and it was always be as hard as you could be. Be as hard as you could be because the streets. Yeah, you, you can't. They show, smell fear. They smell fear. That's a silent weakness. You can't laugh. I'm making up for time lost. Bro. That's it. That's it. Uh, I, right? I'm on like overdrive. And I'm, I'm on overdrive yeah. on that, dude. I, I, I'll laugh and do stupid things and joke about dumb things yeah. because I enjoy life, yeah. man. Like, you know, to me, uh, you know, going outside is a big deal, man. Yeah. I know it yeah. is to you, too. Uh, you know, uh, um, and it's the simple things. You know, uh, it, it's great. We, we, we know that, you know, we, we need money to function out here. That's part of it. But there's even a greater part. And I, I want us to close in, you know, I, I love how you look at family. How's your family, dude? Like, like we, we do have our issues, right? On yeah. both sides, my dad's side and my mom's yeah, side. Yeah. And, um, but for the most part, <clears throat> especially on my mom's side, because we are all in so deep with this, family's everything. Family is more so, family comes first. And not only does it come first, be, man, I don't even know where to begin. Like, I'm almost speechless. Family is ultimately the pillar to everything I do. Yeah. When I leave work, I'm like, well, what are we all going to do? Let's have a movie night. Let's do something. And there's times, too, where I'm like, don't talk to me. Yeah, <laughs> it's just you, you have your days. Yeah, yeah. But for the most part, we always do everything as a family, as a unit, as a team, because there's so much more into it because we – at least on my mom's side, we fight the same fight day in and day out. So we all try to relieve our stress in a family type of way. On my dad's side, my dad's side is a very big Portuguese family. So it's like talking with your hands and food <laughs> is love. And so on that side, it, it, it's just as wild in a good way. But on my dad's side, every night we play board games. Right. And so that's instead of TV, it's let's play a board game. 
And so that's how we get the quality time. And that is one of the blessings I grew up with is having grandparents that played board games with me. And we still, to this day, when I go over to my grandparents' house, I'm like, turn the TV off, let's play board games. Favorite board game? Oh, man. So this one, that we call it Aggravation. Aggravation. And it's a, it's a card <laughs> game, and we play with quarters, but it can get... Uh, my family is really overdramatic and can get real emotional in a good way. Yeah. And so some of the things and some of their outbursts is what makes that board game what it is. Wow. Yeah. For, for us, um, we try not to play it as much. Yeah. Because it always, you know, I, I, I'm a, I, I, I like to. Yeah. If we're winning, it's 100%. I'm not losing. Exactly. I'm taking your soul I'm taking in a your nice soul. way. Exactly. Yeah. Excuse me. I'm about, to, yeah. I'm about to take all your property. Yeah. That kind of yeah. thing, right? Yeah. For us, it's Monopoly, dude. Yeah. And we don't try. We try not to play it as much because it is It is like it's brutal. Yeah. We take it to the next level in <laughs> yeah. our pad, man. You know, it it, it always ends up. So everybody ends up gang, you know, like ganging yep. up on that one winner. Yeah. And it's like I have a house. Full of alphas, man. It's yeah. like, that's all I have. It's, it's you know, a, a attitudes, right? <laughs> Just like boom, and, and uh, you know, uh, finally somebody beat me uh, in this monopoly game. Yeah, finally, uh, and out of all out of all the people in the pan that beat me, uh, I, I gotta give it to him. It was my son, my eleven year old son. He's grounded. Dude, for life. <laughs> Shoe program. <laughs> With your Xbox in your room. <laughs> but he won, and, you know, and, and, but they create memories, right? Yeah. And that's the fun stuff about, about, about family. You know, uh, uh, some more is in the backyard. Uh, yeah. You know, movie nights. Um, the simple things. I, I'm so glad that you, that you made the trip over here, man, um, and, and spent some time, some quality time with us uh, on the podcast. I wish my co-host would have been here. He would have in completely enjoyed the, our conversation. Uh, I, he'll listen to it. But, um, man, thank you so much, Tyler, for, thank for you. being here, for bringing your wife um, uh, uh, in this place. How do our listeners get a hold of you? So I have social media. Uh, my it's, it's a funny nickname that I've just never changed. My <laughs> personal social media is Chunky underscore Tyrone. My <laughs> business page is uh, Absolute underscore Flex underscore Appeal. Um, and I'm, I'm pretty active on it. So if you shoot me a message or a DM or a follow, you know, I'll follow back, message back. And where's your gym, uh, your major gym? Where's that located at? So we're in Rockland, uh, California. It's about um, like 30 minutes from the capital. And so we are right on the cusp of uh, like a, a neighborhood in a rural area. So if you want to ever come out, you're in Rockland, come out to Absolute Flex Appeal. We'd love to have you guys. There you go, man. Hey, everybody needs a workout. I know I do. <laughs> yeah. and I, man, yeah, I, I've spiraled out of control. I told my wife uh, when we were dating, you know, right before uh, we ended up getting married, I asked her, I said, hey, if, if I ever gain weight, would you leave me? And I remember her saying this. She, she straight looked at my face. You know, I had just got out. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, I was still, like, when you get out, you're still doing the, you know, the burpees, the yeah. whole the whole nine yards, right? I was ripped. <laughs> and, 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 and I asked her in confidence because I thought, all I got to do is keep it up. Yeah. And and I said, would you leave me if I ever, you know, if I ever got big, like like overweight, would you ever leave me? And she looked at me, and no joke, she said, in a heartbeat. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, dang, you know, yeah. but, but uh, ruthless, ruthless. But <laughs> but she stuck to it, and you know, here we are, twenty 
about to celebrate 22 years. Congratulations. Yeah, That's amazing. With, with her. And so it, I'm glad that she didn't leave me. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Over my calorie intake. <laughs> but, but it's all good. Hey, guys, uh, I hope that you enjoyed this podcast, this interview with uh, Tyler. And um, it, it's been a fun time with you. Um, again, uh, you know, go to the website, kcd.net. Uh, click on, a, on, um, on the podcast button, then on the support button, and uh, help us continue to bring you some really cool, real raw, real stories to this platform. Thank you so much for your time. Till the next time, God bless you, and peace out. You are listening to the Shot Caller Podcast with Casey Diaz and Joel Needler. You can find us online at uh, Casey Diaz Author on Facebook, uh, the Shot Caller Book on Instagram and on Twitter at the Shot Caller BK. That's at the Shot Caller BK. You can also find us at KCDS.net and send an email to info at KCDS.net. That's info at KCDS.net. <laughs>